The following is a message from Reverend Ken Belden of Wellsprings Congregation. So I am what you would call a foodie. And so I thought I would open today with a little reminder of perhaps some of our favorite eats at this Easter time. We have our first, the classic, chocolate bunny. The second, Jelly beans. And yes, if you're noticing a theme here, perhaps it's that I did give up sugar for Lent. (laughs) The next one, this is a controversial one. All right. Okay. Yeah, I heard. Yeah. All right. So so I'm going to be honest here. Uh, Peeps to me are like chewing rubberized air. (laughs) But who's going to be bold and, and let me know how much you love them? 10%. That's the normal threshold. (laughs) Well, uh, here's the thing. You know, I I do like marshmallows and I love roasting marshmallows, but peeps are a lot less cute when you roast a peep. (laughs) They just, they they lose something in the translation. I didn't do it. You know, Google marshmallow roasted peeps and you will see. Deformed, roasted peeps. You can find anything on the internet. If you're shocked by this, there's a lot more shocking things on the internet. So let's get off the sugar here. The next one. Ham. The traditional Easter ham. I heard a story recently about a traditional Easter ham. Comes from a woman who, from her earliest memories, the way that her family prepared the ham. She was certain of this. She learned it from those who were much older than her. The ham would come out of the packaging, and the first thing that would happen is they would slice the end off of that ham. And she understood it was because that made the ham most delicious. That was the way that the ham would baste itself, and it would be absolutely moist, and it would just be perfect. And this is the way she prepared her ham every Easter for decades. She married, a spouse, built her own family, and then one time many years in the future, she came together with her extended family, some people she had not seen for decades, including her Aunt Mary, who was the oldest person in her family. And she was the one who had the opportunity to prepare the ham, and she took it out of the packaging, and she was so proud, right in front of Aunt Mary, she sliced the end off, and Aunt Mary said, why did you do that? And this woman said, well, that's what we always do. It makes the ham most delicious. And Aunt Mary said, no, the first time we sliced the ham off was that it would fit in the pan. (laughs) Some traditions stay around even when we don't know exactly why. We call it custom or just the way we've always done things. And this ham story raises up before us the question, Of what does Easter mean here in our tradition? Is it simply that it stays around and it's part of what maybe a number of us grew up with? Is it familiar? We don't have a literalistic interpretation of what Easter means, not in this tradition. Is it simply because it stays around? Are we only celebrating bunnies and eggs here and chocolate things? Is that all that Easter is? Not at all. Easter is about 
what the Zen tradition calls the great matter. The great matter of life and death. Of living in a universe, both biological and even more heartful, in which we know that everything and everyone we love, including ourselves, if we do in fact love ourselves, is going to come to an end. Easter starts and opens from the place that everything goes, everything dies. But this is also the invitation of Easter to know what stays, what abides, what continues, and invites us to know how to live gracefully in a universe in which everything ends, what goes and what stays. In the normal, everyday way of thinking about it, it's like the clash. Should I stay or should I go? Do I stay here? Do I go elsewhere? Do I take that other job? Do I stay where I am? Do I get married? Do I stay married? Do I not want to be married? Do I get married again? Should I stay or should I go? Easter is a different invitation at a deeper level of awareness to be able to open our hearts to what goes and also stays. This is at the heart of Jesus' ministry. With these words, I think the most psychologically insightful words as a pastor that I have ever heard, and it guides me in my ministry. These words, you might know them. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. It comes out of the Beatitudes, which was Jesus' instructions on how to live a happy life. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. I want to tell you who taught me this lesson. I'd heard these words for years, but I want to show you who really taught me this lesson about mourning and comfort. And it's these two people. Now, this is going back a ways. Anyone remember Murphy Brown? Candace Bergen? Colleen Dewhurst? Who played her mother on the show. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. This show brought that home to me one night almost exactly 20 years ago. 20 years ago minus five days. April the 10th, 1995. To let you know what was going on in my life at that time, about two and a half years before, as some of you know, my mother at the age of 47 dropped dead. With no explanation at the time that we knew of, no understanding of why it happened, and for about the first year and a half after she died, I would do anything but allow myself to mourn and to grieve. I self-medicated. I anesthetized. I numbed myself out. I had no conscious connection with her loss. And then I had to. Then my life was laid low by a month's almost year-long depression and anxiety that basically said, you cannot run from this anymore. You have to pay attention. And around the time of April 10th, 1995, I was starting to emerge from that months-long depression, that sense of being both lost and found. And one night, very late at night, I didn't sleep well at that time in my life, I was watching what my traditional 2 o'clock to 3 o'clock in the morning ritual was. I have better ways of comforting myself now, 
but Cheers at 2 o'clock and Murphy Brown at 2.30 at least would help me get to sleep. April 10th, 1995, excuse me, would have been my mother's 50th birthday. And Murphy Brown came on, and it was an episode about Colleen Dewhurst's death, her mother on the show. On my mom's birthday, a fictional show about a fictional character's death, about a real person's death. And I kid you not, folks, when I was driving here this morning on NPR, there was a story about Murphy Brown. Ooh. Now, I don't get too much into the woo side of spirituality. I will focus enough on the fact that at this time in my life, in which I was just emerging from my own dark cave of despair, Sitting there at 2.30 in the morning, I felt a deep sense of comfort and my mom's presence delivered via means of people who don't even really exist. Smiles and cries at 2.30 in the morning. It was a gift. It was comfort. And it was enough. Easter is the invitation to know that love has to know loss if it's going to be love. And loss never has to exhaust our love. This is a delicate balance. So often in life we are told to get over things. We are told to consign them into the past, to let them go. And letting go is a good thing. But it is also true that we can hold on. Simultaneously, how do we hold on and let go? How do we learn, as the great poet T.S. Eliot said, teach us to care and not to care. Not teach us to care or to care, or not to care. Teach us to care and not to care. This is a lesson that comes from one of the books about Jesus that didn't make it into the Bible. Some of you might know it as the Gospel of Thomas. Maybe you've read it before. Maybe you've read about it. It's much more mystical and, frankly, weirder and more contemplative than anything in the Bible. There's no story. It's just Jesus saying a whole bunch of teachings, including one which sounds very much like everything goes, move beyond it. He says simply, be passers-by. Be passers-by. Don't hang around too long. Don't get attached. Nothing to see here. Move on. And yet, almost in the exact next sentence, Jesus says these words. Split a piece of wood, turn over a stone, and I am there. So which is it, Jesus? Should we be passers-by, moving beyond, not stopping too long, not getting too connected? Or should we split those pieces of wood, turn over those rocks, And find that even there, the divine presence is. I think the answer is yes. (laughs) Do both. If we open our hearts in a way of radically accepting the full truth of our lives, we will find that we can both pass by and understand that all of life is in passing. And at the same time. That there is great divine love manifested in everything.
even at the close of our lives. Sometimes especially at the close of our lives. Sometimes especially on our Good Fridays. Sometimes especially from the teachers who teach us from their own difficulty. Such as this man. This is Paul Kalanithi. Paul Kalanithi, who was, to call him brilliant, is so underselling him. A graduate of Stanford and Cambridge and Yale Medical School, who had degrees in biology and English literature and in medicine, and then became something that I have no inkling about how difficult it is to become a neurosurgeon. Paul Kalaniti, who was never a smoker. And Paul Kalaniti, who at the age of 36, discovered that he had fatal lung cancer. That's the healthy Paul Kalaniti in his scrubs. He wrote at the time that he knew that he would not live for a very long time, Uh, an opinion piece that showed up in the New York Times and a few other places called How Long Do I Have Left? It's about the fact that he went from the person delivering the news and very often vaguely, well, the studies show, to the person who was asking the question, how long do I have left? He wrote that at 36. For a while, he got a reprieve from his cancer, went back to surgery, But it didn't last long because at the age of 37, his cancer returned full force and he did not have much time left. He wrote another essay that for me is, in fact, even more beautiful than the more well-known one, simply called Before I Go. Before I Go. He said, you know, when you're dying... All question of the future tends to drop away. And life is very much just about the present. Save for one thing. The person that's sitting in his lap. His daughter, Katie. He ends this beautiful little essay before I go with these words. Katie, I hope I'll live long enough that you'll have some memory of me. Words have a longevity that I do not. I thought I could leave her a series of letters. But what would they really say? I don't know what this girl will be like when she is 15. I don't even know if she'll take to the nickname that we've given her. There is perhaps only one thing to say to this infant who is all future overlapping with me briefly, whose life, barring the improbable, is all but past. This message is simple. When you, dear Katie, come to one of the many moments in life when you must give an account of yourself, provide a ledger of what you have done and been and meant to this world, do not, I pray, discount that you filled a dying man's days with a sated joy, a joy unknown to me in all my prior years, a joy that does not hunger for more and more, but rests satisfied. In this time, right now, that is an enormous thing. Paul Kalanithi wrote those words, and then he died on March 7th.
leaving behind Katie. We don't really need to look for more evidence of this fact. If we open our eyes and open our hearts, we'll see it every day. That the universe can be a terribly sad place. That the universe can be a place in which terrible things happen to some wonderful people. But when I also listen, and when we also listen to what Paul Kalanithi said, we recognize that this universe is really not intended to be a lonely place. This universe is, at its essence and its core, a connected place, a love-drenched place, a place where a 37-year-old man knows that his life is coming to a close, but that love does not. What Paul Kalanithi helps me to make sense of are the final words and the final quote I'm going to share with you from Jesus this morning. It's the words that Jesus shared with the people most important to him, his friends, after the resurrection, after Easter. I know I don't take that literally, but these are absolutely true words. He says simply his final words, For I will be with you until the end of the age. For I'll be with you until the end of the age. The promise, finally, is presence. You see, Easter is not really about the immortality of the soul. That was more of a Greek idea. Easter is about resurrection, which is a Jewish thing. And there's not much I know about the afterlife. And I think any of us, if we're honest, would say there's not really anything any of us know about the afterlife, save for the fact that I am hopefully open to it. But this is what I'm pretty sure about. God does not hand out afterlives like candy to good little boys and girls. And that any religion that seeks to colonize the afterlife in its own name and for its own purposes is not a form of religion that I want anything to do about or to do with. See, Jesus was an observant Jew and a radical one and a good one. And that's why his resurrection had to be with his friends. Resurrection is about relationship. About letting our lives and the people that we love know. We are all going. And we are also all staying. It was true with my mom. It was true with Paul Kalanithi. It's true of every dying person I have ever met. It's true with a person that some of you may have met five or six years ago, who sat, my friends, exactly where you are sitting today. Patty. I don't know how many of you remember her, or even if you had a chance to meet her. She came to Wellsprings for a year. And then she died. I had the chance to and the blessing to work with her during that time. I provided her pastoral counseling, but like every other person I ever met who was dying consciously, she was my teacher. 
on the final day that I saw her before I did her funeral, about three weeks before her funeral, our conversation turned to what next? What she was leaving behind, what she was going from, and what she blessedly hoped was staying. And as she laid in that bed with a look of peace on her face, she said, I think where I am going, I call it the great immensity. I have always loved those words since I heard them. The great immensity. They're about as good as any other for what happens next. If anything happens next. And the only thing I said to her was, Patty, from what you are teaching me right now, it's that the great immensity is already here. And we are already a part of it. You will probably forget Patty's name. But maybe someday, when you find yourself in need of Easter, at any season, not just this one, when you are in need of a reminder of what goes and also what stays, perhaps you will remember these words, that we are all part of the great immensity, that you may draw hope as you remember that one who sat exactly where you are seated, believe that she was a part of it. And because of that, even if you don't remember her name, she has stayed, even when she has gone. Same with Paul Kalanithi. Same with any of us and all of you. Because ultimately, this is what Easter teaches me. That the life that we give life to, gives lives to others' lives. The life that we give life to, gives life to other lives. If any of you are parents, you know that already. It's true biologically. But it's also true emotionally. And it's certainly true spiritually. It is true on this beautiful string day when we can see that so much that was once dead is coming back to life and rebirth is real again. Our lives are, in the final account, more immense than we could ever know. Our lives are, in the final account, more interconnected than we could ever hope. And our lives are, in the final account, infinite. My life, your life, our lives, immense, interconnected, and infinite. Happy Easter, my friends. Amen. And may you live in blessing. Let's pray together. God, on this Easter morning, may we be mindful of time. Of all the steps that have taken us to this day. Of all that is moving through us. Of all that moves with us. And of all that is to be.
May we open our hearts to the great dance of life, open our hearts to the fact that everything in every moment is living and dying. Everything in every moment is going and staying. Everything at every moment is coming to be and is passing away. If grieving is what we need to do, may we give ourselves to that work fully and receive the full measure of blessing. And if joyfulness is what we need to do, may we give ourselves to that joy and receive also the full measure of blessing. May the blessings of Easter be with us. Amen. If you enjoyed this message and would like to support the mission of Wellsprings, go to our website, wellspringsuu.org. That's wellsprings, the letters uu.org.